Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. I spent a regrettable amount of time on social media during the pandemic, but one thing that I thankfully missed was the so-called clean girl aesthetic, a trend of looking clean and effortless and beautiful and having a lifestyle to match it. This trend blew up on TikTok with videos of skincare and makeup routines or people showing off their minimalist wardrobes. It's a trend that got the folks over at the TBH podcast thinking, how much harm could a little social media trend really do? And what role does the algorithm play in controlling what we see and don't see? TBH is a podcast from KALW made by and for teenagers. And in this episode that we're going to share with you today, one teen digs into the dirty truth behind the clean girl aesthetic and the algorithms that control so much of our lives. Stay with us. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randadid Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. This is TBH. I'm Cassidy Cannergoms. I'm from Berkeley, California, and I'm a student at Oakland School for the Arts. This podcast is made by, about, and for teenagers and for anybody else who wants to hear what's on our minds. 
Today's episode is all about algorithms and self-care. The ultimate goal of the algorithm is to keep you on the platform for as long as possible. I've spent my fair share of time throughout the last couple years sucked into internet rabbit holes that were terrible for my mental health. Some of them have triggered my health anxiety, but something about the images I was seeing online made it impossible to look away. Others, like the ones we're discussing today, have made me feel like my self-care routine was somehow inadequate, and in the process of apparently trying to help my mental health, they made it worse. During the pandemic, popular video-sharing app TikTok birthed what the internet calls the clean girl aesthetic. Part look, part lifestyle trend, it features staged videos of girls in makeup posing indoors. But the look doesn't feel equally attainable for everyone. These images make Lowell High School senior Elise Muchowski feel uncomfortable, and she wanted to learn what roles biased algorithms play in determining what she and her friends look at on their screens. And if you've never heard of this trend before, Elise will explain. When the COVID-19 pandemic shut down our schools, many teens like myself started to live life chronically online. Lockdown had me mindlessly scrolling through apps like TikTok and Instagram, every swipe extracting a little more serotonin from my brain. A few weeks in, I noticed an increase in videos related to health, eating, and self-care in my feed. The pandemic-related stress seemed to inspire a wave of wellness content. Fitness YouTubers gained millions of subscribers. Google statistics on worldwide searches showed an explosion in people seeking home workouts, and green juice was everywhere. More recently, instead of self-care content and workout routines, my feed has been showing a new look, combining makeup, wellness, and anything but dirt. The clean girl aesthetic. We're doing clean girl, clean aesthetic. And a lot of basic, neutral, and everything like minimal, uh, natural style. Minimalistic, fresh, glowy, healthy look. And who doesn't love a bit of that? The style is characterized by pristine soft skin, white linen sheets, and minimalism. It peaked in popularity late spring 2022 and spread like wildfire from TikTok to other platforms. The images seem harmless, but to me and a lot of my peers, they feel eerie and contrived. Wesleyan University sophomore Victoria Cornejo explains. It's just like simple makeup, but it's like using a lot of expensive products and trying to make it seem like to look like this means you're pure and innocent. It just got like a weird vibe from it. So that's like my experience with the trend. And Sophia Shen, a sophomore at UC Berkeley describes the trend as manipulative and fake. Like an effortless aesthetic and ideal that has been achieved through effort, but kind of disguises itself as being easy. I initially treated the clean girl aesthetic as nothing more than a tacky trend that started on TikTok, but images kept showing up on my feed. Soon, I started to associate the phrase clean girl with skinny white girls. I'm half Vietnamese and half white. I've always felt accepted here in the ethnically diverse city of San Francisco. America is made up of an increasingly diverse population of young people. So I wondered, where were the clean girls who weren't white? Many of my friends noticed the same thing. This is Afia Sheikh. She's 17 years old and like me, goes to Lowell High School in San Francisco. 
As an Indian American, she feels the phrase doesn't include her. The first thing that comes to my mind whenever anybody says that word is white person. Clean girl aesthetic, it physically can't match a color person. Sophia, the student at Berkeley, noted that the default clean girl is white. Even under that hashtag, oftentimes the whole point of the video was trying this trend as somebody who is Black or as somebody who is Asian or as somebody who is plus-sized, kind of allowing the labels that society ascribes to you to immediately set yourself apart from this trend. All of these people who are doing this trend. It's rare to see girls of any other race in this trend, unless you search specifically for them using keywords like quote-unquote black clean girl or quote-unquote Asian clean girl. Okay, so it wasn't just me who was noticing the trend's exclusivity. It's not like there were no videos of any people of color trying out this aesthetic. They just don't usually come up in my feed. You probably have heard of the all-powerful TikTok algorithm, but like me, you may not fully understand how it works. Turns out, several factors, like how long you spend on a video or who you follow, can affect what the algorithm shows you. These factors can result in what's called algorithmic bias. It's a term I learned from Avril Epps-Darling, a computational social scientist working towards a PhD at Harvard. An algorithm is just a set of instructions, a series of if this, then that kind of statements that a computer will follow. But these instructions are written by actual human coders. And there are any number of errors that coders can make when they create these systems that customize our feeds. Among the most common are flaws in the data itself and incorrect mathematical assumptions. Darling says there's a lot of room for improvement. A biased algorithm is any algorithm that systematically produces errors in its prediction. The piece of that that I really focus on and take issue with is when those systemic errors in the algorithm reinforce pre-existing historical oppression. One mistake I learned about is a phenomenon called collaborative filtering. That's when a social media algorithm might only suggest creators that look physically similar to ones you've already shown interest in. So, if you like a few videos of white women performing the clean girl aesthetic, the algorithm will suggest accounts of other white women. This can apply to other races and categories too. But Avril says this can get problematic. So if there's something that you're interested in, you can get filtered into this little niche area of the internet where you're only getting content that reaffirms your pre-existing beliefs about yourself, about the world. And that's a form of digital segregation. And it's not all just a mistake. Amanda Lenhart is a program director and research specialist at the Data and Society Research Institute. She says users themselves are the products in this technology game, a pair of eyeballs for advertisers to profit from. The ultimate goal of the algorithm is to keep you on the platform for as long as possible. That's what it wants to do. So it's going to figure out whatever it is, shocking you, disgusting you, delighting you. It's going to send you all the things it thinks might do any of those things in the hopes that one of those things keeps you on the platform for a really long time so they can show you more ads. This explained a lot. Videos of beautiful, clean white women mesmerized me, but they simultaneously frightened me. 
I wanted to be like them. But was it even possible? The more time I spent on these apps glorifying white beauty standards, the worse I felt about myself. I was being pushed down into this echo chamber of self-hate. Amanda's explanation made me realize that the social media company's interests and mine are not aligned. The more I hate how I look, the more videos I'll scroll through, and the more money they'll make. At the end of the day, if feeling bad about yourself keeps you on the platform for longer, then the platform's kind of like, yeah, we'll take that. This isn't something Amanda made up. Listen to what Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen had to say when interviewed on CBS's 60 Minutes. What's super tragic is Facebook's own research says, as these young women begin to consume this eating disorder content, they get more and more depressed, and it actually makes them use the app more. And so they end up in this feedback cycle where they hate their bodies more and more. Facebook's own research says, it is not just that Instagram is dangerous for teenagers, that it harms teenagers, it's that it is distinctly worse than other forms of social media. Last fall, Haugen uncovered thousands of documents exposing the company's lack of action on various issues, such as hate speech, fake news, and the digital well-being of their users. The documents showed how Instagram and Facebook, both part of Meta, severely harmed teenage girls' self-images. As a teenager, I knew comparing myself online to others was not great for me, but Meta's research spelled it out. The more time I spent on TikTok, the more I hated my flatter Vietnamese nose and dead straight hair. A lot of my friends were going through similar experiences. Wesleyan sophomore Victoria explained that she wanted to be like those quote-unquote clean girls. I want to look like them, and when I say I want to look like them, it doesn't just mean their clothes and their makeup. I think a lot of it comes to like their race too and just the way their body looks. Like I can't help it. My friend Afiat Lowell says the clean girl aesthetic made her feel like she didn't belong. The main thing I think is like, that'll never be me. You know, even if it's just like a dumb trend, I can't participate in it. And it makes me automatically feel bad. Cause then it's just like, okay, well now what? Like I'm just left out, you know? It makes me feel sad, obviously. Like it makes me literally like, like if I see that and I'll see the comments and they'll be like, oh, you're so pretty, you're so blah, blah, blah. And then like, I'll recreate the makeup look and I just won't look anything like that. It'll make me feel so sad and depressed. It'll make me feel like I'm not as, like, not as good enough. Humans come with their biases, especially when it comes to defining beauty. But people need to know social media magnifies these biases. People of color often end up being sidelined, just like they do in every other circumstance. As teenagers, we want to belong. We tend to compare ourselves a lot to others and seek approval online. It's part of normal human development, according to the American Psychological Association. What's not normal is how social media companies capitalize on these insecurities. What does spending all this time on social media, swiping, liking, and comparing ourselves to impossible beauty trends do to our developing brains? Researchers haven't fully figured that out yet. Even experts like Avriel, who study algorithms' effects on adolescents, just don't entirely know. 
much of that research hasn't looked at the underlying technological structures um, and how interacting with specifically biased algorithms that harbor racism and sexism, how interacting with those things every single day in a time period where you're very vulnerable to um, outside influence, which is adolescence, um, what that does to um, a person's sense of self. So I began to wonder, are social media companies actively trying to implement changes that make their software safer for teens? The short answer is no. Data and Society's Amanda Lenhart describe why companies are making such little progress. There are people within a lot of different tech companies who actually care a lot about the well-being of people and who care a lot about particularly the well-being of young people, but they don't always have a lot of power. And it means that at the end of the day, good intentions only get you so far in a company that has to make a lot of money to please its shareholders or the venture capitalists that gave them all the money that got them where they are. All this information created a tidal wave of sadness in me. Tech monopolies know that their apps can be extremely detrimental to teenagers like myself. Were they really doing nothing because they just wanted to make more money? I reached out to Meta to find out. A spokesman sent me some background information, but didn't want to be quoted directly. Regarding my specific questions, they stated that a statement would not do them justice. They did reply, stating Instagram does have an equity team, and hopes through research they will be able to, quote unquote, ensure equitable outcomes for everyone. They might have to evolve, whether they like it or not. Both state and federal lawmakers are working to force social media companies to change the way they operate. For example, House lawmakers introduced a bill in late 2021 that would force the companies to reduce the constant push for engagement by offering a non-user-specific feed. The idea is to create a space where the companies can't profit off of radical hate and intense emotions. But we don't need to wait for a new law. People in my social media feeds are calling out the lack of inclusivity, and they're encouraging their own followers to support less privileged content creators. So if someone from a marginalized community shows up on your For You page, it took a lot for them to get there. So you need to jam that like button, comment, share copy, and for the sake of justice, follow them. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. You know what? Correction. The clean girl aesthetic doesn't just copy Latina girls. It copies hood girls. Black girls, Puerto Rican girls, Dominican girls, Trini girls, any girl from the hood, East Coast, you know the look. And outside organizations are trying to make these companies more accountable. Nonprofits like the Algorithmic Justice League are taking a closer look into artificial intelligence and its impacts. A quote on the front page stood out to me. It reads, we want the world to remember that who codes matters, how we code matters, and that we can code a better future. Avriel, the computer science PhD student at Harvard, still uses social media. She recommends experimenting with your feed. On my TikTok, I spent a long time training my algorithm to only give me a specific type of content. And that worked to some degree. I really wanted to avoid any content that was going to be psychologically distressing to me. And 
So I trained it to only give me like gardening videos. Avriel also participates in social media detoxes, where she temporarily deletes social media apps off her phone. In her most recent detox, she replaced Instagram with a micro-journaling app, allowing her thumb's muscle memory to become a form of wellness. Sometimes it's not about taking things out, it's about adding something in that's healthier for you instead. I was already on my way. I deleted TikTok earlier this year and try to use Instagram less. I engage more with the world around me. I draw and I play guitar. If I'm online, I might watch a TED-Ed video or learn a new recipe. Recently, I checked in with my friends to see if they'd changed their social media habits, knowing how it makes them feel. Some said they now cut back on these apps. One of them said that ultimately she couldn't because she feared missing out. Afia, a senior at Lowell High School, left me this voice memo on Instagram. Well, I definitely realized how useless it was and I stopped going on it as much. I like deleted Snapchat and I used to have an Instagram account that had like a thousand four hundred followers and I deleted it because it made no sense to have an account where I didn't even know like half of the people I followed. Our social media feeds can make us feel bad because the code indiscriminately interprets our interactions. All this research has made me realize that in reality, artificial intelligence may not be that intelligent after all. Instead, it might magnify human assumptions and prejudices. Social media connects us with others and helps us stay in touch with friends, but that's not to say it doesn't come with a cost. Just remember, the next time you open Instagram or TikTok, they might not be showing you what you love. They might be showing you what you hate. Thanks for that piece, Elise. We talked with our fellow TBH teens who worked on this podcast about how social media impacts how they see themselves. I would say that I was a very active social media user maybe like a year ago, and I had to like force that to change because I noticed that I would really believe everything I saw on social media and remind myself that that is not a news outlet. You have to actually find a reliable news outlet to understand what's actually going on in the world. And also I noticed that social media had an effect on how I think I viewed myself in terms of my body image, in terms of how well it's succeeding in life, because you see people project the perfect version of themselves on social media, because they only want people to see the best version of them on social media. And you start to compare that to your life and you know that your life is real and obviously a real life isn't perfect. So you kind of have to remind, I had to remind myself a lot that that wasn't what a normal person's life is. That's just the highlights of their life. When I'm on social media, I tend to feel like a second type of character. Like if when you watch movies, um, sometimes I see Asian characters as off to the side characters. Maybe they're the nerds or a gang member. And then Whenever I interact with my friends, I sometimes feel like that off-to-the-side character. But then if I watch something that's like an Asian movie from Korea or China, or maybe I see 
um, someone who's a an influence influencer. Influencer, yeah. Yeah. When I see someone who's an influencer um, that is Asian, then I tend to feel, oh, I am being represented. Represented. <laughs> represented. <laughs> represented. So I am not really on social media. Like the main platform I'm on is YouTube, right? Um, and I've noticed that, like you know, if, if if I like watch a particular YouTuber who I like, I really like, you know, who I enjoy, who enjoy watching, I'll kind of adopt some of their mannerisms. Um, it doesn't really cause any issues with how I see myself. Um, on social media, I definitely feel like I get a lot of messages that there's like a way that I'm supposed to like present myself or that I'm supposed to look like, you know, like the perfect way. Um, and that can be, you know, definitely harmful because if you don't look like that or act like that, then, um, you feel like less than. So, um, yeah, it's good to like, you know, follow people that don't make you feel like that. Those were the voices of Carolina Quadros, Elizabeth Trong, Aria Baldinger-Williams, and George Wrightham. The idea of a social media detox sounds great to me. I may have been able to mostly escape the clean girl aesthetic, but I still run into a lot of not great stuff on social media. I think we should all be careful of how we use social media and check in with ourselves to make sure that what we're doing on it actually makes us happy. That was an episode of TBH, an award-winning podcast by and for teens produced by KALW as part of their Summer Podcasting Institute. You can find TBH on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you found The Bay. Holly J. McDeed and Sarah Lai Sterland were the teachers and editors for this series. Shia Levitt was supervising editor. If you're interested in learning more or participating in the next Summer Podcasting Institute, go to kalw.org tbh. The Bay is produced by KQED in San Francisco. Alan Montecilio is our senior editor. Maria Esquinka is our producer. And I am your host, Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you all enjoy that one. Peace. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.